Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and Ashley. Ashley, how are you doing up there? <laughs> You know, we're doing all right. How are you doing down there? Oh, it's fine. <laughs> Based on our screen, our video screens here. Oh, I was saying I was saying 350 miles north. That's what I meant. <laughs> and I'm looking at our Brady Bunch looking oh. uh, screen right now of videos. And that's where I came up with that. How, how, um, how are you doing? You are just uh, leaving a short season of surgery recovery with you and mm-hmm. your sweet little one, Silas. How was that? Yeah. How was your mental you know, health? What happened? How was my mental? <laughs> uh, we went into fight or flight, and it was great. Mm-hmm. No, it was good. Um, the tonsillectomy is wild because it's like a very common procedure. So I knew that like the doctor knew what he was doing. It was like nothing, you know, crazy. But the recovery is very long, and it's really difficult to tell a toddler that they can't eat what they want to eat Mm -hmm. so he got very sick of pudding and popsicles and ice cream very quickly but we officially are back at daycare again we are back to a normal routine with the exception of a blizzard coming tonight so we probably won't have daycare tomorrow but at least he's feeling better and uh he's been having pretzels and and crackers and he's he's living his best life so (laughs) i'm so glad i think you handled it really well and you did a lot of work to make sure you had space during it too, which was good to like get away because when you're home alone with a sick kiddo 24-7, ooh, you start to go crazy. You go a little cuckoo. Yeah, yeah. coffee drives were my uh, were my therapy. That's I would literally good. put a podcast in, strap him in his car seat, go for a drive and drink my coffee, and it was glorious. It was, it was wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> um, it was also really cool because you told me about some incredible child life specialists that helped prepare him for the surgery. <gasps> yes. And oh, what a well, connection. What a connection. I, you know, I kind of forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. But it's, it's, uh, that, what is that thing that kids do? Oh, connection like this in preschool when you have a connecting thought. Okay, you can cut that out because I'm getting totally I, blank stares from both of you. I have not seen that, but I trust you. I haven't you. seen that before. Okay. Well, it didn't happen. Um, it sounds nice. Well. And also, this is a podcast. I don't think people can see. Yes. There's a lot of times that I'm doing a lot of things that people don't get the, uh, the honor for those listening today i would like you to envision like a paper chain right. martha was kind okay. of trying to make a paper chain with her index mm-hmm. and thumb and uh it it, it it worked right it did something my daughter just she came home she'd be like i want a dog and benjamin b at school has a dog connecting thoughts like and then she would do the paper chain thing with her finger are you sure jj didn't just like create that (laughs) yeah probably but maybe benjamin b has a dog i don't know i haven't asked him (laughs) but i will go and ask him tomorrow um (laughs) uh anyway the whole connecting thoughts thing was actually about the fact that 
Silas had a great child life specialist experience. And today we have, we're welcoming back Katie Taylor from Child Life on Call, um, extraordinaire. And also I was just staring at your headshot. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Oh, thank you. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. It was hard for me to hear you talk about the tonsillectomy. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I hope she had a child life specialist. And I'm glad that you did. did. Mm -hmm. It made such a huge difference. He had a surgery on on a Tuesday. And the Friday before we went in and he got to like see the room, he got to take like a little uh, oxygen mask home with him to like get used to it. In fact, he was playing surgery with all of his stuffed animals prior. And then when we got there, it was adorable because he was so comfortable. He was like, bye, mom and dad. Like he did. He was just like, this is my favorite place ever. So they did a really, really good job of preparing Mm -hmm. him. It was great. Oh, that's the beauty of preparation. (laughs) And like, I love the pre-surgery tours. I highly recommend them if your hospital has them because you're there when it's not a stressful time like it's like let's go see these things it's not like you're having surgery today yeah for sure no I could it was amazing it seriously changed how prepared he felt for it and almost like excited for it he was like oh I've been here before this is awesome so he he had a blast it was great yeah I also will say Silas just happens to be like a very incredible young man he's just a very sweet (laughs) and thoughtful um kid who just processes things really well I was around him after the surgery and he like still was beaming ear to ear he was such a sweetheart (laughs) such a gem he Um, is my little sweetheart I do love him very much um (laughs) sweeter than some children we know um that are mine not Um, true so not true Katie welcome back thank you for being here um before we jump into the questions I was wondering this is a good thought I don't think we have it written down but can you explain child life on call quickly and also what what is child what are child life specialists what do they do yeah, of course. So I am Katie. I'm a certified child life specialist, and I have a little bit of a sexy voice today because oh, I have yeah. allergies, and so I hope you guys enjoy <laughs> that. Yeah, um, I'm so grateful to be back with the two of you because y'all crack me up, and I'm a solo podcaster, so whenever mm-hmm. I can come play, it feels really cool. <laughs> Um, so child life specialists, we, uh, for the most part, primarily work in pediatric facilities and children's hospitals. And our goal, um, is to really help kids and families cope with the hospital medical experience. We have backgrounds in child development and also psychosocial care. And so we really look at the whole, uh, lifespan of children and families and how we can best support them. Usually that comes with a lot of preparation and medical education and resources and support and coping skills and all that good stuff. So I am um, the CEO and founder of Child Life on Call, and really our whole mission is to spread awareness about child life services by empowering parents to really be their kid's own child life specialist and give you the tips, tools, and resources that you need to feel equipped when you're in these um, unexpected healthcare situations. Mm-hmm. You're such a badass. So You're so cool. Yeah. Oh man, thanks guys. You guys make me feel cool. You you are cool, and your sexy voice. I'm gonna add some like jazz music <laughs> undertone to your introduction. Hey everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, 
And it's such a treat to have you. We After we had our first interview with you, we knew we wanted to do this again. It was so fun to talk with you, but also just so enlightening. We had mm-hmm. team members from all over the U.S. who said things like, I didn't even know that that type of care would have been accessible or possible. Mm-hmm. And so educating about child life specialists in general was super, super amazing. But as we kind of complete our season six here... We wanted to have you back because we're talking a lot about growing our families after NICU. And for many of us who've had a NICU experience, um, we know that there is a potential risk to have another one. Um, Many of us who are considering having more kids know that it's possible that that could happen again. And sometimes when we think about that, it's overwhelming to think about how we would ever be able to juggle both a child at home and a child in the NICU. And we know this is a reality for current NICU families, families who've had kids and then have a baby in the NICU. And so this conversation as a whole, our hope is that it really empowers our moms listening to, first of all, remove the shame and guilt that we feel when we can't magically be in all places at one time, Mm -hmm. but also offer um, hope and tools on how you can continue to bond with both your babies or both your kiddos and also encourage a bond between your older child at home and your baby in the NICU. So we're really excited to have you here. I know this is a recurring um, thread that we see in our private support group. We get questions about this all the time on our social media. So we're really excited to dig into this conversation and and hear your professional opinion on it all. Yeah, thank you. I um, worked in the NICU here in Austin, Texas, which is where I live. And one of my primary goals was really to support siblings. And so I hope that validates that there was literally a whole clinical professional in a NICU for this reason. So that validates that this is a big deal. It is worth talking about. Um, And I I think kind of, as, as you said, Ashley, the shame and guilt for not being able to be in two places as one and at once is just mm-hmm. a crappy situation. And mm-hmm. it doesn't, you're never going to feel like you're winning or mastering. So the more, I hate to say it, but you become comfortable with this temporary, but very real pain of a lose-lose. Like you have to mm-hmm. leave one child for the other. Um, it's just kind of the acceptance and knowing that every, other families are navigating it too. Right. Well, you kind of said it already when you when you reiterated that, but I'd love to come tone back to something that you said of kind of that acceptance piece of mm-hmm. accepting our limitations of just not being able to physically be in two places at one time. And so we think we know the answer to this or we hope we know the answer to this, but is there a wrong or right way to approach this? Is there a wrong or right way to, you know, be present for both of your children? And, you know, what kind of encouragement or compassion would you offer for mamas who find themselves in this situation or are worrying about this potential situation in the future? Mm. Yeah, I think I would usually say there's no wrong way to handle this, but I think the right way to handle it is to give yourself grace is to take a minute and step back and realize if somebody else was going through this, how would I look at them? Would I think they're leaving their child? Would I think they're prioritizing their child in the NICU? No. And so I think the right way to handle it is to really be reflective about how you would see somebody else do it and give yourself that. Um, You only know what you know, and you can't make a better decision than with the information that you have right at that time. So 
as we talk today, if you have already had other kids or you didn't do this when your baby was in the NICU, you know, give yourself a break and just, we only know what we know. And so ultimately at that time, you made the best decision possible for you and your family. And the advice I give you today and the advice you get all the time from whether it's about parenting or just being a professional, take it with a grain of salt and just trust your instinct that you know your family best. Um, and I, that's the, I think that's the right way to handle it. Mm-hmm. What if you had been like, yeah, you're doing it wrong, you know? Just yeah. Like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought about it. Here's how you do it right. I wish somebody would tell me like, for sure, this is how you do it right. <laughs> well, and it's, it truly is like an extension of what you're, everything that you're experiencing in the NICU. It's a lot of um, compromises and, and unexpected things you didn't imagine. Right. Um, and so yeah. just as you would give yourself self-compassion and, and grace for those things you would, you would in this case too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So oftentimes we kind of envision the, you know, letting your child know that they're going to be a big brother or sister with an exciting t-shirt or a little party. We put it on our social media. And then sometimes that really exciting celebratory moment um, is followed by their sibling being in the NICU. And now we're having to also explain to them, yes, your sibling was born but they're sick and they're going to be in the Mm -hmm. NICU. And now mommy and daddy or mommy or daddy need to be present when they're able to. So can we just start with some ways that we can introduce this, this whole entire concept to our kids without scaring them Mm -hmm. or without making them feel like it's now their responsibility Mm -hmm. as an older sibling to fix it or that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, It makes complete sense that, you wouldn't know exactly what to say or feel comfortable having this conversation, right? This isn't what you envisioned. So if you're feeling nervous about how to say it to your child, that makes complete sense. Um, this isn't something that you plan for, but what what I think we can do is really look at how we deliver any kind of complex information to our kids. And so hopefully this applies to you here as we talk about this NICU experience specifically, but in the future as you're navigating difficult conversations as we know are going to come up. So I have kind of a four-step approach um, when looking at this. And so I hope this is helpful. And maybe if you can even write it down to just kind of process, you know, how it works for you and your child. Mm-hmm. So um, the first one is to assess your your older child who we're talking about right now, their temperament, their personality, and their developmental level. And so you'll cater this and you may have more than one child. And so you may notice that one child has a personality to really respond emotionally and the other child tends to, to retreat and both are okay, right? Both are mm-hmm. perfectly acceptable ways for kids to process information. Um, so there's no wrong or right way for your child to react. The other thing you want to watch for when you're delivering any kind of complex information or maybe upsetting information to kids is to really watch their cues. Kids are so good at telling us when they're not interested, right? They'll like literally <laughs> walk away, yeah. ignore you, or be like, look at my bracelet. You know, they're, these mm-hmm. cues are the way of their ways of telling you that they're not ready to talk about this right now. Mm-hmm. And so believing their cues instead of pushing it is really kind of the best strategy to take. So 
we can talk about the perfect way to deliver information, but your kid could shut you up right away. And that's mm-hmm. just their way of saying like, not now. And you just acknowledge that and you say, I can tell this is really hard for you to talk about. At some point, we're going to have to talk about this, but we don't have to right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you listen to them and you, if you need to have that conversation soon, you can even say, I, I know this is really hard for you. I'm just going to tell you exactly what you need to know. And then we can go back to playing video games or we can go to whatever we were going to do. So really look at your whole child as you are kind of delivering this information. Um, Secondly, I love group or family conversations whenever possible. So families being together, um, two trusted adults being there, if there's two partners or maybe a grandparent can come or a neighbor that your child feels really comfortable with. And this just offers like literally that visual of there's people around me Mm -hmm. and I'm okay and I'm safe and I'm secure. And so also it can be really emotional, right? Delivering this information. Mm -hmm. And if you can come in and you yourself have some support, that can be really nice to to really just have the people who you trust and love around you. Yeah. Um, so the third thing I would say is that when it comes to delivering this specific information, and we'll go through a specific NICU example, is being as concrete as you can. So giving honest but simple explanations that are actually the truth. Mm-hmm. So um, I think starting with what your your the sibling actually knows. So you've seen mommy's belly get bigger and bigger because baby brother or baby sister's inside. So immediately you're telling your child like, yeah, you know what's going on. You know baby brother or sister has been inside my belly. And then you can say, but baby is not growing like we had hoped. And so because of that, baby is going to have to sleep and spend their days at the hospital. So you're saying – Baby, we had hoped this was going to happen. This did not happen. And this is where baby is physically going to be. So kids are really looking for like concrete, well, like where is the baby? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like where where did they go? So mm-hmm. you're telling me they're at another building. Okay, I can visualize that. There's a crib there. Like you're starting to give like concrete examples. There's a special baby crib there. There mm-hmm. are people who their whole job is to take care of your baby brother and sister. They're called doctors. They're called nurses. You know how we go to see Dr. Brown when when you're sick, your baby brother has their own special doctor to take care of them. So now you're mm-hmm. pulling on their experiences from their having their own doctor and taking mm-hmm. care of them. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. This yeah. is all yeah. so good. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope it's helpful. Oh, um, yeah. And so um, we kind of talked about the helpers who are there because siblings I've I've heard and heard from parents that they can be really upset about baby being alone because mom and dad aren't there. So, you know, we kind of hear the 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 opposite that we want mom and dad home, but then it's like, wait, who's taking care of baby mm-hmm. brother? So, right. um, I will get to some ways to incorporate bonding, but if while you're having this discussion, you can take a picture of the doctor or the nurse with their smiling faces and their masks down. So you're also providing a visual to where baby is and who is taking mm-hmm. care of babies. Nurses and doctors love this. They want to feel connected to your family. Um, and so this is a really simple way for you to do it. The other thing is in this conversation is always coming it back to, um, this is not your fault. You didn't do anything Mm -hmm. wrong. Mommy didn't do anything wrong to have this happen. Daddy didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes these things just happen. And, um, we kind of move into the fourth step, which is where you become vulnerable with your child 
and you're not uncontrollably crying and you're not making them take care of you, but you are showing your own emotion that this is really hard for mommy. It makes me feel sad. It makes me feel scared. Um, you may see that I'm crying sometimes and that um, I may be more tired than normal. And so if I look at you and you're feeling sad and you're feeling scared about baby brother and you're feeling worried or you're feeling extra tired, we know that we both have those feelings and that they're normal. And what I do when I'm feeling sad is I like to have this baby blanket that I brought home from the hospital to hug. I like to hug you. I like to um, take a walk around the neighborhood. I like to write down my feelings. If you're feeling sad and you're feeling worried, what are some things you can do to feel better about baby brother or sister? Um, And so then they're coming up with their own coping plan of when I feel sad or I feel scared, I want to run to the sonogram picture. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have something to do with that energy and that emotion. Um, and it can be as simple as like, I want to, you know, depending on the age of the child, like I want to hug a stuffy. Um, I want to write them a letter, you know, kind of depending mm-hmm. on the age of the older kiddo, you can really adapt it. But the more you can encourage them to think about the way they want to cope with you, the more likely they'll, mm-hmm. they'll be able to do it. Yeah. So I hope that's helpful. So I kind of want to review because it was a lot. So first we talk about assessing your child, right? And knowing their development, their personality, and they're going to give you cues throughout this conversation. Second, get your support team around you, your people that help you feel calm and loved and help your child feel calm and loved. Third, when it comes to delivering the information, be really concrete, make sure they know it's not their fault. And fourth, talk about how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I I do, I didn't write this down, but I do want to also just Side note, especially for those toddlers and preschoolers that are in those very, and even older kids, egocentric point of view. Like, how is my life going to be different because Mm -hmm. baby's in the hospital? Who's going to be picking me up from school? Mm -hmm. Who's going to be doing that? So Mm -hmm. that's kind of the next conversation, right, is that you can really get down to the nitty-gritty of these details. Mm -hmm. But that's that may be coming up for them too. Like, how does this affect me? Um, I see you're worried about baby brother, but like, what's going on with me and am I still doing my routine and all that. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Well, there's like 80,000 gems in that. I'm not a child, but even just hearing you talk about that, like if a parent were to explain it to me that way, I, I would just feel incredibly taken care of Mm -hmm. and just like very seen. And so I love that. I mean, I feel like these four points apply to so many different things Mm You know, like yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that nugget to just like any life change that yeah. we have mm-hmm. with our children. It's really that framework for difficult conversations. And we use, you know, child life specialists can use different frameworks. This is the one I feel really comfortable with. And, you know, when you're talking about death or bereavement or a move or a transition or a surgery or anything that's going to disrupt kind of their normal routine, yeah. this can be a really comfortable way to do it. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how you're, you should be a writer on Daniel Tiger's neighborhood because honestly, (laughs) I was like, this sounds like what Daniel Tiger's mom would say. (laughs) Do you know there is a child, there was a child life specialist on a Daniel Tiger surgery episode. So cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, We we watched that one with my, my daughter. Yes. Me too. Me too. um, I was like, whoop, whoop. Yeah. (laughs) Represent. Um, They didn't have their own song, but maybe we could write one later and send it to them in an audio form. So I think Ashley pointed out this well, but this seems like something that you can iterate on, right? So 
if something else happens in the NICU or the stay get extended or the baby yes. has a surgery or there's information that you need to relay, you can kind of keep coming back to this and using that same common language. And um, hopefully that would give comfort to the your your older children too. Yeah. Yeah. I like ending those conversations too, you know, depending on the severity of it and how your child's reacting. If your child starts to get pretty upset visibly and, you know, you just, you stop and you console and you love and you validate. And, um, if you can take like a family walk after or do a family game or something that is normal for your family and be like, that this unit hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Like the world outside has changed, but like the way we love you, that you're safe hasn't changed. And that can be really affirming. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. I'm like, makes you want to cry. I know. (laughs) Well, isn't it cool? Isn't it that it's the way that, like you said, Ash, it's the way that we would want to be consoled and loved on in this time that's yeah. really hard and uncertain too. So it's just an extension of that. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. We should all take mm-hmm. naps now. When you said about yeah. blanket, I was like, I want a blankie. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It feels good. Well, and I have one question that kind of goes with that of, you know, when when is that a conversation that a parent would have alone with their children and when would it be maybe helpful or beneficial to have a child life specialist be a part of that conversation? Or is that something that a child life specialist more prepares a parent for, or is it ever appropriate to have a child life specialist present for that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's such a good question. Um, I, I would say, brainstorm as much as you can with any support people there, whether it's the social worker or the child life specialist and, you know, just have confidence in yourself that it's not, you know, and I was saying words, but what you guys really took away from what I said was the way it made you feel. And that's Mm -hmm. the message you want to send your kids. Like you're going to fumble, you're going to say things you didn't mean to. Like I've done that before. Um, but it's like, how, how are they coming back? How are they feeling? So if you think that extra support would be beneficial, absolutely ask for child life. We really recommend that this information comes from you and we want to give you the words to do it. But sometimes that just doesn't the way it's not how the events are happening. And so if they can help you formulate the words and reinforce your concepts and and do all that, I think it's absolutely wonderful and you deserve that that support in those times. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, for these families, um, parents feel like you know, after the initial kind of impact of all this, all mm-hmm. those steps that happens, there's a birth, you know, maybe you're discharged ahead of your baby, baby is staying there, you go home, you yeah. have the conversations, you kind of are finding this new normal, whatever that looks like. You, it is impossible to kind of be in two places at once. And that's, that's like mm-hmm. the hardest thing for our NICU moms that have um, kids at home. Um and it just feels like uh, a lose-lose. Like you, when you're at the NICU, you feel like you're uh, neglecting your kiddo at home. When you're at home, you feel like you're missing important things that are happening at the NICU. You always kind of feel like you're running behind. How would you talk to a family who's navigating this? How would you help them address it? Yeah, I think validating that it is a lose-lose and um, they're not going through it alone, which I know is y'all's theme. Um, which is really important in these situations. I, I think the sooner that you can establish a routine of leaving, and what I mean by that is at the beginning, or you may find that it's easier to kind of sneak out when you need to go to the NICU because 
you don't have to hear your kid cry and you don't have to hear them get upset, which is incredibly upsetting to leave your child at home to go see your other child in the hospital. If you can establish a routine that says, mommy is going to leave, daddy is going to leave to go visit baby in the hospital and I really need your help. Okay. I need your help in picking out which book I'm going to read to your baby brother today. Can you help me find that book? And then I'm going to leave. I'm going to go read the book and spend some time with baby brother. And I will be back by this time. And if for some reason I'm not back by this time, I'm going to call grandma. I'm going to make sure I talk to you on the phone, you know, who or whoever is watching them and explain why I'm not there and when I'm coming home. So why it can be easier at the beginning to kind of sneak out and and get out the door. What that can do for the kids at home is wondering um, when you're coming back, why did you leave? Did you go to see baby? Um, and just can start to develop a little bit of mistrust. And so the sooner you can establish this routine of, I need your help, you've got a big job here. What book am I going to read? If you're not here, there's no books. You know, or which blanket should it be? Or just these small little things. Another thing I've seen families do is say mom or dad always have keys around. Like, I want you to hold on to my keys. This is how you know I'm coming back. Um, and so just, or maybe something that's really precious between the two of you is like, when you, when you're missing me, when I'm visiting brother or sister, you have these, you know, I'm going to be coming back to you. So just establishing that kind of stuff when you leave the NICU can be helpful. Yeah. So obviously there is physical different distance between our kids at home and our kids in the NICU. And sometimes that can be for long periods of time. Sometimes that spans from a week. Sometimes that looks like nearly a year or more. And so what are ways that families can establish bonds between their children and that siblings bond even before they've had a chance to meet or spend a lot of time together? I love this question. Um, And I want to talk about it in two parts because I think there's a place for advocating for siblings to come visit the NICU. Even if your NICU says no, um, we can talk about some of those strategies and when it's appropriate for sure. Um, But I think as it's kind of like imagine when you were pregnant and you were getting baby's nursery ready and you didn't know baby yet, but you were starting to create memories with them before they even got there. So you know it's possible for a sibling at home to feel connected to sibling in the NICU, even though they've never met. So some of the things I really recommend doing is just like we talked about bringing a book to the hospital that sibling has picked out, videotape, videotape, like what am I, (laughs) 1993, Um, (laughs) just videotape, record yourself on your phone reading to baby the book that sibling has picked out. So automatically they know that the book that they have decided for baby brother or sister that day is being read aloud. The second thing is to do like a little video tour of the bay that you're in or the private room wherever you are and physically show sibling like what the room looks like. This is mommy's chair. They have sinks here. What do you know? They've got soap just like us. Like (laughs) all of these little things that matter and make sense to kids, they want to see is happening where their baby brother or sister is. So like taking their context at home and going there and you'll, I had a, a parent in the NICU and we sent home a dinosaur stuffed animal. And so baby, our big sibling was like, is Dr. Dinosaur still there? So somehow like the dinosaur coming home. And then, so now we only talked about Dr. Dinosaur and then the 
the doctor would write a letter to sibling at home and sign it like Dr. Dinosaur. So like sibling was totally integrated into Mm -hmm. this whole Nikki experience and staff loved that too, because they very much love the family unit. So Mm -hmm. I think any way that you can connect those two worlds together. I love having, um, if they're old enough, the sibling draw a picture and then literally putting it on the isolate or putting it in the room so you can see baby and the picture together. Um, ask nurse for footprints and then, or handprints, take those home and put them next to baby brothers or siblings. Sorry, my words are getting all messed up, but have sibling at home on the same paper, put their hands next to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so just these little activities that don't take a lot, but are can be incredibly meaningful. I also love name bracelets. So let the sibling wear baby's name on their mm-hmm. wrist when they go to school um, so that they feel connected or even like I'm a big sister, those kinds of things that are like, this is their new role. This is mm-hmm. their, this is what they do. And Um, At home, you can have them pick out things to help with the nursery and just all those little things and jobs that make kids feel really like they're a part of it. Mm. Um, The second part that I I do want parents to feel comfortable for is advocating for siblings to come in and meet. And I think it's really important to be cautious about the timing for that. I think right at the beginning when you're recovering from delivery – Um, Things may be pretty critical um, and at time unstable. It's probably not the best time for sibling to come in. Um, I think once you feel settled, once you feel secure, once sibling has seen pictures of the NICU, maybe you've done a little video tour, you're reading their cues, they're asking to come in, they're asking to come see, is then the right time to ask either the child life specialist to set something up or to um, ask Uh, the doctors or get approval for sibling to come in. There's usually an age limit. Um, We practice scrubbing our hands before we go into the NICU, talk about safety, um, and then really kind of limit the time there. So those NICU visits usually should be anywhere from like five to 15 minutes. Um, You're going to find that the you know, depending on the age, the older the kiddo may be able to spend longer time there. But sometimes you get there and it's really overwhelming and you feel really awkward and you're ready to go. Um, So don't expect that it's going to be like an hour long visit. I think Mm -hmm. kind of prep yourself for that five to 15 minute range. And then also if you want to give them something to do while they're there. So when we go and visit baby brother, um, your job is going to be to help me pick out the blanket that's going to go on them next And then let's draw a picture that we can leave here because sometimes, you know, you think it's going to be this magical moment. It's almost like when you're holding baby for the first time, we've Mm -hmm. talked about that, right? Like it's not everything you hope it's going to be. Sibling visits can be clunky and sibling visits can be overwhelming for everybody. And this isn't what you pictured the first time you thought they were going to meet. So just kind of prepare your heart and your child's heart for that uh, situation. I think that makes so much sense too because they in my mind you know um the older kids but first of all you see all like the medical equipment and the people and they're wearing masks and stuff and that freaks you out as an adult and you understand the dynamics of what a hospital is but for little minds to really take it all in it's a lot so I like mm. the idea too of doing the tour and talking a little bit yeah trying to practice that, you know, what is the most concrete, straightforward, honest way to describe what this machine does? You know what I mean? Yes. That's really hard, but even just practicing it or recording it can be really helpful um, ahead of time too, because 
it's so it's overstimulating for grownups as well as kids. Yeah. So and sense. if there's a long walk to get to baby's bay or baby's room, mm-hmm. um, I would, you know, sometimes we even go through and pull curtains and make sure mm-hmm. that uh, there's mm-hmm. privacy for the family, but also the child is not looking all around them. So sometimes I'll say, let's count the squares on the floor as we're going by, right? So we have them focused on a job and somewhat protecting them from what's around them and just being aware of that exact thing. Martha, I'm glad glad you brought that up. Yeah, that makes sense. In an instance where maybe a sibling is visiting their NICU sibling and maybe like a DSAT happens or a brady, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and alarms go off or a medical professional rushes into the room, you know, what are ways that you can process that with your child so that they don't, you know, think that it was their fault that they were there or that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, is it kind of the same four-step method that you mentioned, or is there a different way that you approach that in helping them understand? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And you know, it could definitely happen. Like that's, that's what happens in the NICU is things happen that you don't plan for. Um, so I think in that preparation for sibling visiting, um, listening to YouTube sounds of NICU equipment and those bells and those alarms and talking about how people walk fast. And if something does happen while sibling is there, it's just the best you can remain calm and then really process it later. Mm -hmm. Um, and if your child doesn't bring it up, you can always say, remember when those beeps went off? I wonder what was happening or what did you think was happening and really get their input on what happened. Sometimes we can be really um, scared of what the child was thinking and who knows what was going on in their head at that time. So getting them to really verbalize like, I was scared or what alarms are you talking about? I was making it a bracelet and I had to leave, you know, so yeah. really let let them um, navigate that conversation. But good question. Knowing that there's this intersection between NICU graduates and developmental delays and disability and medical complexity, um, that means that the NICU experience is kind of goes beyond just being um, admitted to the hospital. So they're discharged, they come Mm -hmm. home. And so even those things that you talked about with your older child initially, like we're going to bring the baby home and the baby's going to meet the dogs and we're going to, you're going to get to hold it. Maybe that's not what it's going to look like when the baby finally does come home and is discharged. Um, How can we introduce our new babies into our family and reassure our our older children of all these changes? Yeah, such a good question because I think a lot of babies do come home with oxygen um, or do come home with some special braces or do come home with a lot of more therapy appointments. And like you're gone the next day already, didn't you just get home? Why mm-hmm. does baby have a doctor's appointment? Yeah. They were just there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think all of that, and gosh, I, it's so much to put on parents because right, you're getting discharged to bring your baby home. But I, I would I would go back to kind of that, that four-step process of just being very concrete and saying, baby needs extra help to breathe, or we've got an appointment tomorrow after we get home, or just preparing as much as you can for what life is going to be like. And here's the other thing is that your older siblings, especially if there's only one, they don't know any different. So um, they don't know that siblings should come home and stay home and not have this equipment. To them, it can feel really normal, especially if you're talking about it, um, you know, just make it part of your conversation, you know, bring it up often, you know, baby has oxygen there. We're going to see it when we get home. It's going to be really normal for them. 
Um, and so just kind of addressing it in, in that, like, this is what we have to do right now. And life isn't always what we expect it's going to be. And, um, I hope that helps answer your question and doesn't diminish that it is different, but for the sibling, it may not all be that different. They don't, they've never had a sibling come home from the NICU before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, it also kind of goes back to what you were saying about following your child's lead and, and asking questions mm-hmm. about what did you notice about this or what are you, you know, asking for their observations? Cause maybe that pulls out things from them that you weren't anticipating. Children are, kids are, are little, they're little sponges, but also they pick up on things like, you know, remember when you ate that turkey sandwich three years ago? You know what I mean? Just... Yeah, exactly. And yeah. kids are really fun. Like I've had some kids leave the NICU with some specific braces and dad called it his football gear. Oh, and cute. so like they loved that. They're big Cowboys fans. So it's like, yeah, he's already got his football gear on and he's just three <laughs> months old, you know? And so, you know, get creative with the oxygen tank and is it oxygen tank or mm-hmm. is it a big pickle? I don't know. You know, yeah. You can just get really fun with with what this could be and what it could represent to your family rather than something that's scary. Let it be something that's really helpful and really useful and really fun. Mm-hmm. It's actually been cool. We have so many um, awesome members of our community who's will do things like um, they have they have dolls, so they like uh, they see what it's like to suction out uh, the trach or mm. or. or um, you know, do a feeding through a G tube, things like that. And so a lot of like pretend play with that. And like, then yeah. they take all this pride. We have one dear friend of ours in particular, and it was really cool to see how her um, daughter just picked up on those things and started doing them and felt really um, as involved and kind of committed to the family chore of we're doing the feeding, you know, as, as her parents. I love so that. Cute. Yeah. I, I've so. also had kids like take those and like, um, traumatize the doll and like draw fireballs on them so that also could happen just like as a heads up like sometimes I would like think I'm gonna have this really meaningful intervention and the mom comes back she's like can I tell you what happened and I was like you know just like that's really normal too I love that right oh my gosh kids are still kids yes Oh my gosh, so good. I do think too, we have a good friend who uh, who put googly eyes all over her oxygen tank, which is pretty good too. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, creepy. Cool. Yes. Ooh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and my mom is an elementary music teacher and um, sometimes she'll tell me about the kids who just, who have a heart for kiddos who have disabilities or medical mm-hmm. complexities and just their compassion and empathy for, for those students. And so I can only imagine too that, you know, having these older siblings involved in their younger siblings' cares or, or medical needs are only going to make them more empathetic and compassionate adults mm-hmm. and kids in school mm-hmm. and different things too. And so um, I, I, I feel so encouraged thinking about just like empowering these kids to see um, kiddos who need that little bit of extra attention and then really becoming just beautiful and empathetic adults too. Yeah, as you were talking, I was like, I wonder if those are siblings of kids who have been in the NICU or have had, had medical complexities, the most compassionate and loving people. Yep. yep, for sure. Well, I know we're kind of getting to the final thoughts of this episode, but maybe um, before we go to the encouraging last words of, uh, or encouraging last words, <laughs> encouraging final notes of the episode. You know, are there any additional children's books or resources that you would recommend for families as they, you know, continue to establish a bond between siblings? Yeah, absolutely. So I have an Amazon list that I'm going to send to you with Ooh, all of my favorite you? NICU books. 
Um, but one of my favorite children's books in general that is really great for NICU, for separation, um, for even end of life or bereavement or death is a book called The Invisible String. And it's about the connection that you have from one heart to another heart that you can't see. And I think it's just a, a great book. And it comes even with like some practice materials if you want to buy that extra stuff. But I think that book, even for family who live far, for military families, this idea of this invisible string between you and the people you love is really great. Mm. It's my favorite. Mm. I love that book Beautiful. so much. Oh, and then I also have a um, NICU parent a like preparation document for preparing a sibling to come visit the NICU and stay involved. And I'll send that to you guys to be able to give out if you'd like. Oh, that's incredible. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I imagine so child life on call might be a great resource <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, um, you know, what would be some, you've given so many words of encouragement throughout this episode. I know there's going to be a million and one nuggets that families can take, but you know, what would be some of, you know, a lasting encouragement that you would leave with families that find themselves in this situation or potentially find themselves in this situation in the future? That's such a good question. I think I hope that you take away from this conversation that you have the ability to make your other kids feel really safe, even when you don't think you're doing a good job. And that by loving them and opening up to them and being honest with them, you have everything both of your kids need. Um, and you might fumble through words and mess up at times and need to sneak out, you know, why the other sibling's napping and it's not going to make or break the whole experience. But as long as you keep coming back to making your your kids at home and your NICU baby feeling loved, you, you really can't go wrong. So good. Well, and this is a very important question. How can families connect with your services? Yeah. Um, especially especially if maybe a child life specialist isn't available where they are or they don't feel comfortable with the one that they have. You know, what are some ways that families can connect with you and your team? Yeah. So actually childlifeoncall.com slash parents. Um, we have a parenting kind of starter kit, um, which talks about how to give your kids medicine and all that, that kind of fun mm -hmm. stuff. But you can also see virtual services there. So you can meet and connect with a child life specialist and we're more than happy to, to provide a consult and help walk you through or get you connected to one in your area. Hmm. And also Instagram. That's where I do my most stuff. How about you guys? Oh, like yeah. that's, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. Instagram and the podcast are the two. Yes. Places. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it's so wonderful. Honestly, um, first of all, we all are having um, winter storm brain, even though only one of us is in, is one right now. I think um, we are just always, you're a breath of fresh air. You're so light, but just you're filled with so much wisdom. And um, the fact that you take time out of your, your busy, busy schedule to sit down and share this, these gems with our audience is incredible. So thank you for being you. Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. I love it. Anytime you want or will have me, I will be here. And I love NICU families. And so I'm just grateful that hopefully you can walk away with something today and know that you have a safety net in both Martha, Ashley, Child Life on Call, and we've got you. Yes, 100%. 
Well, mamas, thank you uh, for tuning in with us today. We are so grateful for this community and we hope that you feel empowered and encouraged that you can do this and that your best is enough. Um, Your love is enough. And even on the days when it feels like you're completely stretched thin and you can't do it, know that you already are and you're doing a really, really good job. And so... um, why am I crying? I am so emotional. I was just about to say, this feels like, this feels like self-care right now. Oh man. But we love, um, we love your families. We are with you, um, in spirit, but also here, um, on our podcast and in our services. And so just know that you do not walk this journey alone. There are resources like us and child life call on call that literally exist to support you and to make sure that you feel seen, heard and validated. So, uh, we'll be back next week with a wonderful mama story, but thank you so much for being a part of this community and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.